It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. It's Memorial Day weekend. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, our studios in San Diego. <laughs> My co-host, the venerable John Riley, broadcasting normally from left field. We're going to be here for the next hour or so to talk sports. We have a ton of topics on the table. Happy Memorial Day weekend. This this holiday means so much to so many different people in so many different ways. It's also kind of in sports, the official beginning of summer so we got a lot to cover in baseball yeah I, I always think of memorial day and the indy 500 those two things always go together so hopefully we'll be able to chat about that we had a lot of different things in a lot of different directions before we start john we have so many new people that are sampling our podcast our bonus podcast on monday our regular podcast on thursday describe to them how they can subscribe so they'll get all the alerts because we're doing stuff virtually every day now on our podcast and how they can join us at the end of the show because we're looking for a co-host in fans forum. Yeah, if you want a co-host, if you have a question or a comment for Hacksaw, just type it in on the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved in uh, the fans forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts and of of course, subscribe on YouTube because, yeah, as Lee said, we have we have updates every day, new videos, new video clips, um, in addition to the live streams twice a week. And see my name across the top of the screen there, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. That directs you to my website. On my website, it's all written. We write on it seven days a week. One man's opinion column, the best 15 minutes in sports. If you like sports, you like the podcast, you're sampling us weekly, you'll like my website. Please check it out. And by the way, give us a thumbs up. Give us a five-star rating if you can do that, too. John, let's start with what's the most important thing right now as the summer season starts, baseball. Baseball, I know. And I was watching the games in Yankee Stadium, and oh, my God, this, this misery, this frustration never ends. Please tell me what is wrong with this picture. Padres, 24 and 29, as they continue this long road trip going to Miami. What's wrong with this picture? Baltimore, 34 wins. Minnesota, 27. The Angels, 28. The Marlins, 28. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, 24. Arizona, 30. San Francisco, 27. All those teams, some really small budget teams, including first place Tampa Bay Rays, have more victories than the 24 and 29 Padres. How is that possible? I mean, these guys aren't hitting. I mean, and then, you know, Machado's, he's hurt. He's been out for, what, a couple of weeks now. Um, We didn't have Tatis at the beginning of the season. But the players are not doing what they're supposed to do, and they know that. I will tell you, the national media has now gone on a crusade calling out the Padres. It's, It's pretty amazing. Uh, USA Today said the Padres are the biggest disappointment in Major League Baseball. Yeah, ESPN has called them baseball's biggest underachievers. The Washington Post says the Padres model is broken. I mean, the criticism is being leveled at A.J. Preller for how he spent money, whom he traded away, whom he's entrusted to carry this franchise, and it's not working out. 24 wins. Do you know 
They are just a half game ahead of the last place Colorado Rockies. <laughs> Dick Monfort's Colorado Rockies have the same number of wins as the Padres. Like I said, what's wrong with this picture? That's crazy. I mean, you know, but it's, it's they're calling out the Padres. They're calling out Preller. But at the beginning of the season, they were all praising Preller. They were all praising Seidler. They thought they were putting together this magical team. They they were doing it in a new and different way in San Diego. They had this new formula. And now how quickly everyone turns on them when they're not winning. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's Preller. I think it's got to be on the players. Well, they're not winning. They have lost 11 of 16. They have lost 14 of their last 20. You know, in extra inning games... The Padres are one for 18 at home plate hitting in extra inning games with a guy out at second base, the ghost runner. The Padres are three and nine in one run games with a $253 million payroll. The Padres are 0 and 5 in extra inning games on the season. Yes, some guys are hitting the balls on the screws like Soto has had a real bounce back in the last three weeks. Tatis is hitting some home runs. Nobody else is doing anything in that batting order. And I don't know where they go next because they got no resources to call up from El Paso. They're as bad as the Padres are. And if you're going to make a trade, they really don't have any ready-made players to trade. And because of the $253 million payroll, John, they can't really take on any more salary because that'll shove them into the next luxury tax bracket. Mm -hmm. What they have, they have to figure out the solution has to come from within. And I know we can say there's still 100 games left in the season. They've just gone past the one-third mark on the schedule. But there are a lot of teams in front of them. And there, there are national beat writers notably Ken Rosenthal, who don't think the Padres are a playoff team. Think about that. Yeah. Well, I know. Remember Bobby Cox when he was coaching the, the Braves? He used to say, let's let's go 50 games. At the end of 50 games, I'll know what I have and I'll know what kind of adjustments to make. But this is confounding. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. But sometimes you wonder about the decisions, even the decisions that Bob Melvin makes. Like, for example, in that Saturday um, extra inning game in, in New York, they they were you know had a runner on second and Brett Sullivan was just a bat and they pinch hit Austin Nola who's hitting like one forty something you know and and then uh, Rizzo was like creeping in he was like almost in the dirt near the batter's box he was so close waiting for that and what does Nola do of course he fails I think he popped out or something so some of these guys are just not performing but then sometimes you wonder about some of these decisions that Melvin makes well I also think. There, there, there's a, a theory out there that these guys just aren't coping with the pressure of the payroll on their shoulders. But there's also a theory out there that where's the fire? Where's the leadership? It's almost like, well, I got my money. So if we lose, we lose. I still got my money. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it, this is just not right. Not at all across the board. And I'm just wondering, and here's the question we'll post on fans forum. Are the fans going to call for somebody's head if this does not improve? And are the fans going to turn on this team if this does not improve? Granted, there's 100 games to go, but have you seen anything that makes you believe the next 50 going to be better than the last 50? Well, I mean, imagine if you're a season ticket holder and you're shelling out all this money, or you're you know, a casual fan and you want to go you know, you single-game tickets. At some point, you're going to say, well, the heck with this. I mean, this is, they're losers. Um, but it, it's just confounding. 
you wonder, are they going to, yeah, someone's head going to get rolled from this, but who? I mean, you're not, are you going to get rid of Preller, Melvin? I mean, they're in long-term contracts too, just like the players. I think you've got to figure out a way to solve it from within. Manny's coming back, right? So hopefully they can get, you know, on track here in June. Okay, we go from one team that's got a lot of problems to another team that's developed a lot of problems and is surely not what they were just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw these headlines here about the Dodgers, a pitching crisis, and maybe they're making some deals. I mean, what do you got here, Lee? Well, the, the Dodgers have an enormous amount of injury issues with their pitching staff, and we had talked extensively about the fact they had four to five young starters at Oklahoma City that looked like they were about to break through. Well, one of them never got out of spring training and is yet to pitch, Ryan Pepio. Hmm. And he was probably the hottest of the AAA guys. He's got an oblique injury. It's taken a long time to come back. I mean, we are now, he got hurt in March, and we are now to June, and he's still yet, yet to throw. They, because of other injuries, they rushed the kids to the front. And Michael Grove had one good outing and has been battered since that point in time. Gavin Stone, the third young arm, came up from Oklahoma City, three outings. His earned run average is 14.40. His stuff is electric, but they're teeing off on some of his stuff. He's probably going back to Oklahoma City. Uh, they've just got real big issues. Noah Syndergaard has had a couple of good outings, a couple of really bad outings, has not shown the ability to go deep in starts. Got a 6.47 ERA. He's just not the pitcher he was prior to all the injuries with the New York Mets. I don't know whether they shove him to the bullpen and just let him try to work his way back into the rotation or whether they just keep sending him out to try to get the job done. Uh, they, They just have real thinness now in their pitching staff. You know, there is no Dustin May. He's just had a plasma platelet injection, which is going to extend his time on the disabled list. And he's on the 60-day DL, so he's not coming back. He's not throwing, not doing anything. Julio Arias has tweaked his hamstring again, so he's not ready to come back. And obviously, Jimmy Nelson, who was an insurance policy starter, once upon a time was a pretty reliable innings eater for Milwaukee, has had three shoulder setbacks. He's gone for probably the rest of the year. Wow. Their starting rotation right now is Clayton Kershaw, Tony Gonsolin, and then kids who get shelled or bullpen days. So the Dodgers, Dodgers have got a big issue. However, Andrew Friedman said on Saturday, the Dodgers are going to go shopping for a veteran pitcher. So there's something that might happen in the trade front. Now, I don't think they're going to take on mega payroll. But you're going to make a call to the other teams that are in trouble. Toronto's having a last-place season. Colorado, Milwaukee. So some of these teams who are out of the pennant race already might become sellers even earlier than the baseball trading deadline. And there could be a way to rent a vet, Zach Grenke, Kansas City, Mm. if you still think he's got his stuff. Kansas City's in last place. They're not very good. Um, Kyle Hendricks, who just came off... Shoulder surgery with the Cubs, he's he's making some money. He's an extra part to a younger rotation. The Cubs are in total rebuild. If they deem Kyle Hendricks completely healthy, you know, maybe that's a guy. Patrick Corbin, last place Washington, but he's got, mm. he's got a decent contract. I don't know if the Dodgers want to take that value on. Uh, and one guy that has gotten no 
No phone calls since he was let go by Arizona, Madison Bumgarner. Now, that's a burning question. The 34-year-old's numbers in Arizona weren't good, but we all know what he was for a long period of time with the Giants. Does he still have his stuff? I think that becomes a big issue. The Dodgers say they're going to make a deal to get a rent-to-vet veteran pitcher, and they've got the wherewithal to do it. They're not going to trade Gavin Stone, and they're not going to trade any of the other young arms at Oklahoma City. But there's ways to make transactions to rent a vet. So that's the storyline with the Dodgers. Bumgarner in a Dodger uniform is like— Someone going from the the you know the the force to the dark side. You know, if you're a Giants fan, you don't want to ever see that. But I think it just goes to show you that for a lot of these young pitchers, how hard it is to make that leap, you know, into the major league baseball. How tough it is to compete at that level. Not too many young kids come out right out of the gate and are are impacting the game immediately. It takes them a little while to get going. But I kind of wonder, maybe do the Dodgers regret, you know, sending Trevor Bauer away? Because they probably could use him now. No, I don't think they regret that. But I, I, I just think that the Dodgers let go so many veterans in the offseason. And I maintain this is all part of a game plan to get get way below the luxury tax, hit the reset button to be a, a bidder and maybe the winner on Showtime Otani. Mm. When we get to February 1st and baseball free agency begins. So keep that in mind. Uh, There's a bigger picture than just where Dave Roberts' team is right now. Okay, from baseball, let's go to NBA basketball. The Padres are in a crisis. The Dodgers are in a crisis. Now the Lakers and the Clippers are in a crisis. Yes, salary cap crisis. That's a really good headline. Let me walk you through where we are. Uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis will both make $47 million next season. Jeez. Uh, the, the Lakers are of the opinion that they want to keep the core four together. They're going to try to re-sign and extend out Austin Reeves mm-hmm. and Rui Hachimura. Supposedly, they're offering them both four-year deals worth $60 million apiece. That's wow. a $15 million salary. Mm-hmm. That's probably doable. I don't know what they're going to do with D'Angelo Russell. The reports that are swirling over this weekend is that D'Angelo Russell, who got benched during the playoffs, who averaged six points a game in the most important series the Lakers played and never got off the pines, has asked for four years, $200 million. <laughs> That's 50 mil yeah, for right. a campaign. Yeah, that's more than LeBron and AD. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, I'm led to believe the Lakers are willing to go two years, $40 million, 20 per season to keep him said no so i would assume he's going on the open market or maybe maybe there's a trade there is a rumor i don't want to see this happen but there is a rumor that evidently the lakers approach dallas you take russell and a future number one we'll take kyrie irving Ah. Would you touch that, or is that too toxic for you? <laughs> that's that's really toxic. I don't know if the Lakers even want to go near that. But you know, he had an okay relationship with LeBron in Cleveland, right? That those guys worked Until together, the end, and then he didn't want to be there anymore, right? So you know, there's a track record here about Kyrie Irving, Cleveland, Boston, Brooklyn, Dallas. Mm. Work out any of those places? <laughs> no, <laughs> no way. Ah, uh, he's kind of radioactive to me. Mm-hmm. Great talent, but a great deal of baggage. You want to go there? I don't know about that. So the Lakers, the Lakers, they've got some tough decisions to make. They do have a late number one pick. 
17, but that's way down the board. So that's just, just a young body. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of young bodies. Most of them can't play. So Lakers got a big issue. Across the hallway, the Clippers situation. Uh, they've got Paul George, and they got Kawhi Leonard, and they're $40 million over the cap. Ooh. They have a huge set of decisions to make as to who they're going to keep and who they're going to get rid of. They've got three big men knocking down crazy money. Marcus Morris, who's never been able to hold on to a starting job, is supposed to make 22 mil next season. The three-point shooter, Nicholas Batum, who's hot, who's cold, who's good, who's bad, uh, he's supposed to make almost 12 million. Uh, they got another forward that's making 11 million that hardly plays. They need to dispatch those guys so they can get down from that 40 million cap figure. Where do they go to get more players to put around Kawhi Leonard and and Paul George, who are oft injured? And, you know, this this three-year run with those guys has ended up the same way the prior three-year run ended up with Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. Good, but not good in the postseason. The postseason ends and everybody's hurt. So the Clippers have got a real big issue there. And I haven't mentioned the other guy, Russell Westbrook. Oh, yeah. They do want him back. But that price tag, is that $30 million for an aging guy? But he did play well. He, there were stretches of time where he became the glue when everything else was falling apart. They do want him back. And it's been interesting because a couple of teams have approached the Lakers about talking to Coach Tyrone Liu about leaving and going somewhere else. And the Clippers said, initially the Clippers thought, out of, out of I think, fairness to Liu because he's been such a good leader of that team through all the trauma, We'll give teams a chance, but they have to give us a second-round pick just for the right to talk. Mm. And if somebody wanted to hire him, you'd have to give us your number one. But then they changed their mind, did a U-turn, and they informed everybody in the NBA, we won't allow anybody to interview Coach Lou. They want him to stay. They want him to guide this team going forward. So so you, you got your two stars, but they're oft injured. That's a big issue. What do you do with the rest of the team? This is crazy. I mean, you're right, because they are hurt all the time. You know, Kawhi and Paul George. It just seems like the NBA model is interesting how they assemble a roster. You'll try to get two, maybe three superstars, and then fill the rest of the roster with some role guys, some young guys. Hope some of them catch fire. It makes me wonder the guys that are in the front office for the Lakers and the Clippers, they've got to have analytics guys there, just like they do in baseball. But you don't really hear too much about analytics in basketball. So it makes me wonder what kind of criteria they use to pick those supporting cast guys. I mean, how do they know which guy is going to be the right fit to match up with Kawhi and Paul George? That's a very intriguing question. You know, Nick Batum was a really good three-point shooter in Charlotte on Michael Jordan's team. And he wanted out because of all the losing, and they wound up getting him. And he's had stretches where he buries a lot of threes, makes a difference, but no consistency whatsoever. And he's got a lot of mileage on him. And, you know, Morris, the big power type guy, uh, shoots threes, rebounds, does all that stuff. No consistency. He's been in and out of the starting lineup. Robert Covington, whom they got from Portland a couple of years ago, had a good final third of one season. He thought, oh, the kid's arrived. Kid disappeared. Was MIA. Was That was him down at the end of the bench next to the water boy. <laughs> right. So they've, they've got some real issues. How do you solve this thing with the Lakers or the Clippers? I, if you can go get a veteran guy who's been in the league a long time and hasn't won anything lately— or is about to get phased out, maybe you take a run. I'll throw the name at you. How would Draymond Green look 
as the third wheel for the Lakers on a one-year contract. How would Draymond Green compliment Kawhi and PG cross the hallway with the Clippers? That kind of guy on a short-term rental because he wants to win a ring. Yeah, well, that's almost like Bumgarner signing with the Dodgers, you know, getting a Golden State Warrior on the Lakers or the Clippers. I like the idea. You know, the strategy of a veteran coming in for a year or two, maybe their leadership, their chemistry, their will to win will make a difference. But yeah, who is that guy? I mean, I'm I'm kind of running through some other names in my head and I'm not sure who that is, but I just can't imagine Draymond playing for an L.A. team. That's just... That's again, that's another dark side move. True, but the guy does play. The guy's got value. The guy's tough. The guy's got leadership capabilities. Yes, he does throw punches occasionally at his own teammates. <laughs> yeah, oh, Golden, no Golden State deal. might be on the brink of a real overhaul, a real transition because mm-hmm. of the way it just ended and the fact that Steve Kerr was very critical about we were never, ever a championship team and we never, ever recovered from Draymond Green throwing that punch in the beginning of the yeah. season at Jordan Poole. So keep... Keep that in mind. Well, I got one more question for you, Lee. With the, these NBA teams, you know, they're trying to fit everything in the salary cap. Have the, do you think the owners would ever say, you know, it's, it's too hard to build a winning ch- uh, franchise. Maybe we need to increase the cap. Well, the cap does go up. The cap goes up based on the gross revenues. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, as they created what was the salary cap initially, the smart guy agents, lawyers, smart guy agents figured ways to work around the cap. Mm. And the cap evolved very differently than it was intended. It is not really a hard cap. You can go over the cap signing your own in-house free agents. Now, you can't go over the cap to sign somebody else's star to a five-year or a four-year contract. So the cap rules have changed. They're trying to get it back under control. There's all types of exceptions. And I would be here till next Monday if I tried to explain (laughs) them all to you. You're not that smart that even no. you could understand no. that because I can't understand it and I live this every day of the week. So, no, the, the cap has been has been massaged, changed, and adjusted. You just got to make better decisions with the kind of contracts that you're dealing with. And let's talk one other basketball story here. This is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the Nuggets are kind of just sitting there waiting to see what, what's going to happen between Miami and the Boston Celtics. Miami Heat are going to make history on this Monday night as we do this Monday bonus podcast. Miami will either be the first play-in team ever, ever to get to the NBA Finals, or Miami will be the first team in NBA history to blow a 3 nothing lead in a playoff series and lose. Because <laughs> the teams that were down yeah. three games to none, their composite record in those series is 0-150. and Wow. If Boston beats Miami... First time ever. So Miami is either going to play themselves into history or they'll be embarrassed by what history they set if they lose this game. The flip side of that is that guy, Nikola Jokic, and those Denver Nuggets. Do you know they don't play the first round till Thursday? Denver will have had 10 days off. Wow. Since they eliminated the Lakers in the Western Finals. You know, and they, they had guys that were tired. They had guys who were dinged up. And they'll have 10 days rest with whomever survives the Monday night Miami-Boston game, have to take a deep breath, get on a plane, and go to the Mile High City fatigued. Mm-hmm. Fascinating storyline there. I mean, what it, go back to the Miami game, uh, game six. Do you think the, the refs were wrong? Did they put too much time back on the clock? Because they put three seconds. I think maybe it should have only been two. But what a crazy ending that was in game oh, six. I mean, who could have thought Derek, Derek White 
playing amongst all those big guys would find a way to weasel his in way in along well, the baseline he had a clear and tip path. it back up. He had a, there was no one in his way. I yeah. mean, so I mean, it's, what a blown opportunity. Um, yeah, so I'm 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 rooting for Miami. I like Jimmy Butler. He's a great player, mm-hmm. guy, good, good guy to root for. But yeah, the Denver, they're kind of you know it's, sometimes it's a bit of a curse if you're resting too long. Yeah, they will will rust be a factor for the Nuggets. But the fact that first two games, Mile High City. Fatigue basketball team getting off the plane. Uh, oh, uh, it's been a wild series. You know, Boston played so poorly against Atlanta and survived. Then Boston went down 3 0 to Miami. They were calling for the firing of the head coach. And now all of a sudden, Boston is playing possessed and they're playing the way that they played during the course of the season. Their bigs are playing really well defensively in the paint and in along the baseline. And they've made Miami kind of a jump-shooting team, or at least if Butler goes to the hole, he's got hands and arms and getting bodied all over the place. So it's like they turned the light switch on, suddenly realized we're not playing the way we used to play. And now now they've grinded their way, clawed their way, mugged their way back into the series. But you're right, Jimmy Butler is what a competitor he yeah, is. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. So, I mean, what's your take on the Celtics? I mean, they, they're, like, they're like the Lakers. They're always competitive. They're winning all the time. Do you ever get tired of certain teams always being, you know, in the finals or near the finals? Well, Boston had been building this forever and ever. You know, Danny Ainge stockpiled just a truckload of number one picks, and the whole theory was it's going to bring Boston back, and they're going to be a cornerstone franchise. And never quite got there. And then Ainge got forced out, and Brad Stevens, who had been the head coach— stepped into the GM's chair, and they've, they've got kind of a unique combination of players. I mean, it's just Tatum and Brown are the superstars in Boston, but, boy, they got complementary people that, that are in the starting lineup or coming off the bench that make things happen. I think Boston wins against Miami. I think Miami goes on the yeah. record book for the wrong reasons, but Boston will be fatigued, and then they're going to have to go face the big guy. It's not going to be easy there. Okay. I, I agree. It's tough to win Game 7 in Boston if you're on the road. Okay, before we go from basketball to the next topic on the table, we're going to cover a couple items in football. Uh, let's talk for just a second about people subscribing, people joining us on Fans Forum right at the end of the bonus podcast today. Yeah, so you can get involved in Fans Forum. Just type your hot take, your question for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube, because we got a lot of stuff breaking on YouTube. And listen, we got over 1,800 subscribers, so we're looking for 1,801, 1,802. So subscribe so you'll get all the alerts. And by the way, you need to check my website because there's a ton of topics that I write about every day of the year on LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Off-season NFL, a lot of topics, a off-season lot. NFL. <laughs> there is a lot, and you, you, we talk so much about the draft. Now the NFL rookie quarterbacks are there. Let's, uh, let's get the latest update. Well, OTAs have begun, and they'll continue for two more weeks, and then there'll be mandatory camp, and then everybody takes a break, and then we'll go to regular preseason training camp. That'll spring upon us in July. Bryce Young, Carolina, is taking all the snaps with the number one unit with the Carolina Panthers, and he has been really impressive. They like his dedication. They like his leadership. They surely like his skill. They don't seem to be concerned as to whether or not he can handle playing at 190, 195. But I think when you put a player in an NFL training regimen with nutritionists, They'll bulk him as we go towards July in training camp. So Carolina, really pleased with Bryce Young. 
I'm not sure what's going on in Houston. I don't understand the whole C.J. Stroud storyline. The storyline is that he is not taking a lot of number one snaps with hmm. the Houston Texans. They're giving them to Davis Mills. Mills, of course, has been a part-time starter for a year and a half, has not had a lot of success because he hadn't had a very good team around him. He's the former Stanford kid, smart guy, strong arm, but he's turned it over a lot, not thrown a lot of touchdowns. I just don't understand D'Amico Ryan's methodology with C.J. Stroud. Um, I was told that he's taken about a third of the snaps with the number one team in OTAs. Why is he not getting the bulk of the snaps? That's going to be the future of your team. I don't understand what's going on in Nashville. Holy cow. I mean, they wound up with Will Levis uh, with the Tennessee Titans, and I just don't understand him being third on the depth chart behind Ryan Tannehill, who's still there, and behind Malik Willis, who they drafted number one a couple of years ago, hasn't really played that much and hasn't played that well when he's had to play. But if, if, if Levis was such a hot commodity on the draft, unfortunately he sat there in the green room that whole first <laughs> day, did not get taken uh, until the third round. I don't understand why, what Tennessee is doing. I mean, you know what you got in Tannehill. Don't you want to rush forward and, and put as much on the table for Will Levis, the kid out of Kentucky, to you know get him ready? Indianapolis, they they are praising Anthony Richardson. Uh, They say he is there 11 hours a day uh, on his own time, on his time with coaches. Uh, He's doing everything that needs to be done. They're really impressed with his presentation and his approach to being the Colts quarterback. I don't know if he's going to be the starter, but I think he's going to play a lot in preseason just to see how he copes (coughs) with moving up to the next level. Weird story with the Raiders. Jimmy Garoppolo has had a second foot surgery. This did not come out till Saturday. Uh, the Raiders restructured his contract with the complications from the San Francisco foot surgery. They took what was supposed to be an $11 million signing bonus, and they have transferred it into salary that's not guaranteed. Hmm. He has to pass a preseason physical to stay on the roster, and he's had a second foot surgery. There's a theory out there that they did this because they don't think he's going to be ready, so therefore they're not willing to pay him Mm. because the contract is unguaranteed. The roster bonus or the signing bonus is guaranteed. It's $11 million salary. They took $11 million bonus, so it would be worth $22 million, but he has to pass the physical. There's a theory out there that he might get released, which I don't understand you know how? Why would the Raiders have done this deal with him, without without understanding that there might be another surgical procedure? If they don't have the quarterback, they let Derek Carr go to get this guy, and then you bypass the quarterbacks who are on the draft board, and this guy doesn't work out because he's still ailing and he's got a history. He's had three major injuries in five years. That's a really weird story there. And Baker Mayfield lighting it up in Tampa. They love his energy. They love his smartness. There's a smirk around him, kind of like <laughs> on your face. Uh, he is he's throwing the ball everywhere. You know, they've, they've got tight ends. They obviously have Mike Evans, a big 6'5 wide receiver. Uh, they have uh, Chris Godwin, the kid from Penn State, who when healthy has been almost unstoppable. They're kind of quietly excited 
about Baker Mayfield. So those are the storylines in the NFL as it relates to quarterbacks. You know, I, I read a story about Anthony Richardson and his character and that he was actually helping out the janitors in the clubhouse, like cleaning up because he was just a dedicated guy. You know, it's you don't usually hear that from these prima donna players. Maybe he's a special guy. Maybe he's going to be something that'll be really fun to watch in Indy. But going back to Garoppolo, I just remember so many times, yeah, he always messed up his ankle or his foot in San Francisco. But you talked about how there were rumors of the Raiders maybe trading up to get a quarterback. And we were wondering, why would they do that if they signed Garoppolo? Maybe they've had this strategy cooking for a few months. Strange way to do business, because if this does not work out, your quarterback is Brian Hoyer. <laughs> Age yeah. 38. Oh, man. Been with virtually all these teams in the league. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not even really a qualified backup quarterback, but would he be your quarterback going forward? It, to me, it's a strange methodology that the Raiders have put in place involving Jimmy G. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you love Jimmy G. It's just the kind of the guy he was in San Francisco. I'm rooting for him to have success there. But yeah, I mean, if he if he may not even make the roster... I mean, what, that would just be so like the Raiders to completely screw this thing up, you know, because they haven't had like just a really great quarterback for a really long time. They had a good quarterback in Derek Carr. And yeah. they opened the door and told him to leave and he wound up going to New Orleans. Mm. This bear is watching. We'll, we'll see what June into July looks like. We got college football to talk about here. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw this, some updates about the Aztecs. I mean, I know there's there's rumors about them switching conferences still. Well. The Pac-12 has not made any move on any topic. Pac-12 is trying to negotiate a new TV media deal, and they're really struggling because most of the other networks have committed a whole bunch of other places. And there's a lot of money on the line if they don't get a marquee deal. Uh, you know, now they're talking to the CW network, which does not do sports, aside from LIV Golf, which they don't do very well. <laughs> That's right. Uh, they're, they're talking to Amazon and other people about streaming, but you're not going to get megabucks streaming and you're not going to get visibility streaming. So they're, they're really painted into a bad corner. And because they haven't done the media deal yet, there's been no bid handed out to take the Pac-10, which it will be when Southern Cal UCLA leave, and expand it. That means there's been no offer yet to San Diego State, been no offer to SMU. Uh, I don't know where Fresno fits in this this conversation now, Vegas, etc. San Diego State's got a problem, though. The Aztecs' exit fee to leave the Mountain West is $17 million hmm. till July 1st. After July 1st, it's $34 million. Whoa. San Diego State has already said we cannot afford to pay $34 million to exit because that would eventually wipe out all the money they'd be getting from the Pac-12 conference. You know, and then San Diego State's got the NIL issue. Their pot of gold is a lot smaller than a lot of people, and that's why their players have been cherry-picked to go other places. So, And the Aztecs, I think they'd like to be in the Pac-12. But now this this window, it's going to happen in June because if we get to July 1st, then that fee goes up. And is the Mountain West going to let them out? Is the Mountain West going to say, OK, we'll let you have a reduced thing? Or is there, are there going to be deferred payments? So they're going to be paying the Mountain West for five years if it's $34 million. So tough, tough situation. But this is all this is all part and parcel because Pac-12 has not been able to get a TV deal done. 
Well, remember like about 10 years ago where they went to the Big East? Oh, that was a bad idea. And then the whole thing blew up and the conference kind of disintegrated around football. I'm worried the same thing's going to happen with the Pac-12. You know, that this maybe this conference is going to start to dissolve because it's already kind of the weakest of the Power Fives, right? So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Maybe the Big 12 just seems to make a lot more sense and that that they have a lot more momentum as a conference. Well, they do, but is the Big 12 going to go to 20 teams? I mean, are they going to take the corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado? Are they going to take Oregon and Washington? How many teams are they going to have in that conference? And does that conference make sense? Mm. I mean, you're an Oregon duck. What sense does it make to go play at West Virginia? <laughs> I mean, it, if yeah. you look at look at where the Big 12 is, Big 12 should never have expanded the way they did when they brought on Cincinnati and Houston and Central Florida? Yeah. I mean, none of that makes any sense geographically. So I think I think the Pac-10 will keep Oregon, Washington, and will keep Arizona, Arizona State. Uh, the question is, can they get a TV deal done? Does anybody think those games are sexy enough on late night TV to offer the Pac-12 or going to be the Pac-10? A monster contract. So that and San Diego State's just kind of caught in the middle having to wait here. Uh, it's, just, it's a very, very complex issue. J.D. Wicker said that he's patient, that he's not going to get rushed into making a decision. But, you know, the PAC-10, <laughs> you know, they're, they're uh, leaders. They know about the this this exit fee. You know, see, it makes you wonder if they really want San Diego State, why haven't they already offered them yet? Is it because they're waiting on the TV deal? Is that the whole thing? Yeah, I don't th- – in all honesty, and we talked about this before, I don't think any of these teams they're talking to – as expansion candidates, bring any cachet to the table. Outside of Aztec basketball, and that might have been a one, one-time one-off, what happened last year at San Diego State, what else do these schools bring? What does SMU bring? What does UNLV bring? Jerry well, Tarkinian's dead and gone. Yes. What does Fresno State bring? Well, uh, UNLV is a decent-sized market, right? I mean, as far as television goes. SMU, you're in the Dallas market, but the schools themselves aren't that sexy. Yeah, you know. so I, I, this is a weird, weird fit. But I think that the first thing is the Pac-12 has to come up with a strong TV deal, and then they'll make their moves. But then is it post-July 1st? And what does that do to San Diego State's ability financially to cope with that transaction? Because that transaction is not just moving to the conference. That transaction is you got to be a player in the NIL world. And I'll too, tell you yeah. what, they're not offering anywhere near what Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, uh, these other schools are offering. So we shall see where that goes. Hey, Lee, did you see the news about Lamont Butler earlier today? Coming back to San Diego State for his final year. That's great news. He went through the whole NBA evaluation process. We're waiting to see what Jadon Ledee does. Uh, There's not been word yet. I get a sense that people are tampering with him and whispering in his ear, go be an NBA second-round draft pick this year with that NBA body. And then you'll, you know, you'll play yourself to a big contract. So if he comes back, you'll be a first-round pick next year. But because the NBA right now is a second-round pick and he's on somebody's roster uh, and growing and learning and going through all the regimen of what an NBA player goes through, maybe he's changed his mind because people are whispering in his ear. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, I know as an Aztec fan, I'm happy Lamont is coming back. But he could be set up for a nice... You know, maybe a first-round pick next year if all goes his way. Exactly. Memorial Day weekend means lots of things. It means being back home in Indiana. 
did you enjoy the race? It was fun. You know, I mean, there were a lot of flags and, you know, the, the race was stalled a few times, but I thought it was just a great event. I mean, just all the pageantry before they even start the engines. Back home in Indiana, Purdue Marching Band. Uh, what a phenomenal pre-race festival. It is 325,000 at the old Brickyard, 107th wow. running of the race that began in 1911. And how about that guy, Joseph Newgarden, kind of a, a veteran's veteran, had never won the Indy 500. He's won a lot of races on, on the circuit, and he wins for Roger Penske. Penske, the legendary owner who I think has saved IndyCar racing because he's bought all the speedways, including Indianapolis. He gets his 19th Borg Warner Trophy which is a phenomenal accomplishment. And New Garden hung around, hung around, all the red flags, three red flags in the final 16 laps. They set up for a one-lap chase to the finish line after the third red flag, and he starts second on the restart and blows by Marcus Erickson. Erickson was furious beside himself, said that Indy should have never allowed that to happen. The race should have finished under caution because he had, he had fought his own way uh, to get to the front and was about to win his second straight Indy 500 till Newgarden got it. But there are so many great storylines along the way. You know, and I think privately, because you and I were texting back and forth, and I've never seen anybody text with two beers in their hand at the same time, <laughs> uh, texting back and forth about A.J. Foyt's team and and what uh, Ferrucci, the young driver in the underfinanced A.J. Foyt team, almost did, which was win that race. And it was a phenomenal accomplishment. I just, I just got the sense everybody across America was rooting for Ferrucci Second-year driver for Foyt, who's just had a lot of issues as an owner. As great a driver as he was, he's not been the greatest owner because he doesn't have the financing. And Ferrucci almost won the doggone thing for the old Texan. I mean, it would have been America's race, America's racing legend, and an American winning for the American racing legend in America's great race. It would have been just such a cool storyline. And plus his car was the Stars and Stripes. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was set up really nice that way. And yeah, A.J. Foyt, obviously one of the great ones at the Brickyard. But it was weird, all these caution flags, and you don't want to end a race on a yellow flag. But wow, like one lap sprint. I mean, anything can happen just based on, you know, how they, what, it was a deal where you have to build momentum going into the start and you can't drag your feet, right? I mean, the yeah. one guy got penalized. He slingshot. Yeah. He slingshot past him. That's what Newgarden did. And there were so many controversies. To get to your point, NASCAR changed the rules about, I'd say five to seven years ago, where if you have a bunch of cautions at the end, they will go to what they call a green-white checkered race. You'll go. You'll run two laps at the end. It'll be a shootout. Oh, nice, Indy. But it, so if you know if Indy wants to act that way, then put it in the rule books. Yeah. Everybody knows this right. was this kind of came out of nowhere that they're red flagging this thing for one lap. And it, Erickson was just beside himself that they invoked this rule that had never been invoked before. But boy, the storylines of the race were just crazy. You know, we had. When we talked last week and when we did our Indy 500 preview, I talked about the front row mm. and, and how this thing might fall. And I remember telling you specifically about the guy starting in the middle of the front row, Renus VK out mm. of the Netherlands, that he's fast and he's dangerous and he wrecks. And he knocked the leader. They were both running one and two when they made their first pit stops. He knocked Alex Polo in the pits, hit him. 
And Pelot wound up going from running first to 30th after they fixed his car. Mm -hmm. VK got penalized. He wound up going back to 28th. Uh, on the restart because he caused the collision. Yeah, I mean, that was crazy when that happened, but his car went sideways, got a little squirrely in the pits. And then on top of that, we got to the middle of the race, and it was a horrific accident with Kyle Kirkwood. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, a guy got loose, hit the wall. Kirkwood clipped him. Kirkwood went upside down, went skidding down the straightaway on his lid, Thank God for the safety bars they put in about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he would have been crushed to death. There was also the incident where the tire came off the car, careened into the stands, went over the grandstands into a parking lot right behind the grandstands and landed on a car. Luckily, didn't hit anybody. Right. If that had gone into the stands, we probably would have had some fatalities because those tires are heavy mm-hmm. with the axle. So we had the Kirkwood thing. And then right at the end of the race, Pato Award out of Mexico, who had surged to the lead, he was part of that group that was always running up front. He's got a history of making mistakes. He had the bad start on one restart. Then he came back on a second restart, and he hit the wall. And that that caused a trigger of crashes at the end that led to the red flag with a lap to go. It was it was a wild race. The, the you know the the first hundred fifty laps were clean. They were flying. It was great yeah. racing. Pit stops were important. And then we had three red flags in the final sixteen that really changed the outcome. But what a great race! I mean, everybody, the whole country that follows auto racing, all the journalists, the broadcasters are talking about what they did in the final lap to Ericsson and what Newgarden did during that final lap. It was a great race. Well, I saw you exchanging tweets with Bill Center, you know, talking about Indy 500. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's it's just a great race. It's it's such an American moment. Now, here's a kind of a little bit of a tangent. I want to get your thoughts on this. What did you think about Jewel? And the national anthem. Did you watch that or do you hear it? I heard a little bit of it. Yeah. Because she was heavily criticized, you know, by a lot of kind of the the old school conservative, uh, you know, fans in Indiana. They didn't like her rendition um, of the national anthem because she added her own flair to it. Well, they're all trying to appeal now to younger demographics. And I Mm -hmm. think that's why that was the way it was. But back home in Indiana, man, if you didn't tear up listening to that and and one of the great traditions was Jim Neighbors, the legendary... Oh, yeah. You know, from Goober, Gomer, Andy Griffith show, but Jim Neighbors mm-hmm. is a great vocalist. Yeah. He sang back home in Indiana for decades. Now, he's since passed away in Hawaii. Uh, but that that just brings chills. It, to me, it's like right before the Kentucky Derby, they played My Old Kentucky Home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what... That is one of the coolest things. The drivers, all the drivers, and I've interviewed virtually all the big-name drivers uh, in IndyCar racing, say when you sit in the cockpit of your car and they play back home in Indiana, just the chills. And then we saw at the end of the race, Newgarden, who's from Tennessee, used to go to the Indy 500 with his dad when he was a kid. Hmm. You saw him climb out of his car, sprint across the track, go through the fence and up into the crowd to celebrate with a fan. <laughs> yeah. I've never ever seen that before. <laughs> well, then they were showing shots of his wife yeah. and, and and then the other racer's wife, and they're like stressing out in the pits, the whole thing. So it was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of really interesting storylines to this race. But it's just, it's an event, you know? It's this pageant that really makes it so special. It's the Kentucky Derby. It's the Masters. It's the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's just something that, it's a slice of Americana 
So, all right, time for Fans Forum. Who's got questions? We got answers. Feel free to participate. John's best friends are going to join us here on our Monday bonus coverage. Okay, so here's a comment from uh, Carrie Ward on the live stream. Talk about the Dodgers. Move Victor Martinez in to be a starter. Uh, possibly if he's got the ability to to pile up innings. That that becomes a big question. The Dodgers, you know, have got a lot of young relief pitchers. And we talked about guys that maybe they could trade for. You know, maybe maybe they move one of those young relief pitchers, Vesia, um, Victor Gonzalez, some of those guys. Maybe they move one of them in a trade to get a veteran rental pitcher because I don't they're not going to trade any of the kids at Oklahoma City but you know if they're deep in major league relief pitching you know maybe you'd swap a Zach Greinke and give me one of those relief pitchers at age 25 or 27 yeah that makes a lot of sense actually and Greinke's been a Dodger so that could work you know it's he's still hanging around how old is Greinke 38 or 39 on a one-year contract yeah but But he's he's still good he had a well he had a high ERA last year so the question is is father time collecting tolls on him now is he not the same pitcher because he was he was a tremendous pitcher for what decade and a half starting with Kansas City but a head case too well he's different yeah <laughs> I mean look at you who are you to call him a head case okay next question okay here's another one on the live stream from uh, John Hopkins William and Mary sweater hmm well it was in the closet they recruited my kid <laughs> they gave me this when I recruited him so I decided to wear it today I've got so much stuff in my closet that I just need to sample on TV. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like the, Williamsburg, the rotation. Virginia. Don't be critiquing Williamsburg, Virginia. Okay, here's a comment here from our uh, from our um, Instagram, and this is uh, from California Pokemon Girl six two three talking about Artie Moreno. It says the fact that Rob Manford keeps letting this corrupt butcher destroy the Angels shows how much of a coward he is. It's way past time for him to force Moreno out. Hashtag sell the team, Artie. Well, baseball's got a lot of problems. I don't think the Angels are one of the major problems, although, I mean, obviously, Artie Moreno has fallen from grace for the fans in Orange County. I mean, this baseball storyline in Oakland is, is despicable. Uh, 10 and 45 now. They're on, they are on a pace to destroy the New York Mets record of 120 losses in a season. You know, the, the A's right now are on a pace to maybe win 30 games. Think about that, John. Ah. Uh. Can you imagine going 30 and 130? Oh, my God. I mean, that's that's where it is right now. Uh, and you got the whole stadium crisis and the mo- trying to move to Las Vegas, and that's going to be approved by Major League Baseball. But uh, that, that, to me, is a huge issue. The Moreno situation, part of me says the man has done a lot of positive things. He's tried to spend money. He's never been cheap. Has he made a lot of mistakes? Yeah. Has he gotten burned a little bit by this drug trial and the scandal and the death of Tyler Skaggs? Yeah, there's a black cloud that seems to be hanging over that franchise. But at this point in time, he's not ready to sell it. And by the way, they got a better record than the Padres. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that they're a wild card playoff team because they think the best division in, in the American League is the American League East. And a whole bunch of good teams in the American League East are not going to make the playoffs either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, they're kind of hanging their own. They've got an awful lot of good pitching coming. They've drafted a ton of guys. I think there's three or four of their high draft picks are now at the major league level, and they're giving them the ball, and some outings are good, and other outings they get pasted. But that's what uh, good kids go through. So I don't think there's a move afoot uh, to remove Artie Moreno. I think 
he eventually will sell the franchise because I just don't think he's having a lot of fun with the team because of the way he's being treated. Mm-hmm. But he brought some of that on himself with some of his impulsive moves and free agency and a lot of money that he gave to bad players, bad citizens, guys with bad drug problems. Any chance Otani resigns? Oh, I think they'll be in the mix. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have a good season, Phil Nevin is kind of driving them. And if they if, if they wind up with a above 500 record and Otani looks around and sees progress being made in the farm system, maybe. And I don't, I don't know whether the Otani decision will be based on Showtime's relationships or will it be based on franchise success or will it be based on just the almighty dollar? I don't know. I think it's going to be a West Coast team, which means probably Angels and Dodgers. Uh, Seattle's not having a good season, so I don't know whether they fall out of the mix and I don't see how the Padres can afford to bring them on with the payroll they already have. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Padres, who would you rather have, Juan Soto or Shohei Otani? I like them both. Mm-hmm. Uh, Soto's got to prove to me that he can be the Soto that was in Washington, but within the last three weeks, Soto is hitting the ball. Yeah, and you know who's been playing really well is Mackenzie Gore, you yeah. know, who we gave up to get Soto. So you can, we can armchair quarterback all these deals to, you know, to the end of time. Well, I for, had forgotten Padres traded five prospects in the Soto transaction, mm-hmm. uh, you know, including C.J. Abrams mm-hmm. and James Woods and Robert Hassel yeah. among them. And, and uh, Woods and Hassel aren't there yet, but they're hitting the daylights at a minor league ball. So this turns out to be a win-win for Washington. But keep this in mind, um, Soto's, Soto's got to come back to be what he was before, which was a 290 power hitter. Not a two thirty eight hitter who gets a ton of walks and occasionally hits a home run. Yeah. If he expects a big payday from San Diego, he's gotta be what he was at Nationals Park. Yeah, I mean and what when the was it the game yesterday or the one on Saturday where Soto came up at the very end and just kinda hit a weak grounder this to the right side. I think that was the extra inning game mm-hmm. on Saturday. So, you know, we get glimmers of Soto. You know, I keep wondering, is he a $440 million guy? I don't see it yet. Um, but, you know, Seidler's going to have some a big decision to make soon. Well, they've got another year and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's continuing to scuffle this year, the next year, which will be the contract year, he could be trade bait. If he hasn't shown that he can be a 290 and a 40-home run guy going forward, I don't see him getting the contract, which means – they trade him and let somebody else make that decision. Yeah. I mean, big decisions afoot, you know, with the Angels, the Padres, the Dodgers. Yeah, let's move on here. We got another comment. This is also from Instagram talking about the Chargers uh, from Steve DLC 760. Uh, quoting you, Hacksaw, why do the Chargers do business the way they do? This is why they lose, lose, and lose. This is how the phrase chargering came about. Well, I, th- I think if you look at the roster on paper, boy, they got a lot of talent. They got a lot of firepower on offense. They got a select few good group of players on defense. Um, I just don't understand why it's been so hard for them to turn the corner and become a consistent winner. You know, they had the Bethard era when the Chargers got to the Super Bowl and I was the voice of the Chargers. Then they had the A.J. Smith era. That was a really good football team. But they just had the bad luck of injuries that one year they got to the AFC championship game. But then A.J. Smith self-destructed and ran a lot of players out of there. And it's just been tough to build back. Hey, I like Justin Herbert. I think they're going to be really good. And it, this may be the year it has to happen for them to go deep in the playoffs. And deep, I mean, they're in the AFC championship game. Because they do have Herbert. They got Eckler for one year. But they because they, they gave him the 
bonus money. The trade-off was they can't franchise tag him. So he'll be here, and then it goes on the open market. Somebody's leaving at wide receiver at the end of the season because you can't afford to have a couple of $30 million a year wide receivers, be it Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. Somebody is going to exit. They've rebuilt the offensive line. That side of the football is going to be fun. Um, Their theory may be, John, we'll just beat Kansas City (laughs) 43-42. Because I don't think they have enough defense. It'll be like the Chargers of old, you know, Eric Coriel. Um, I I saw a comment on social media a couple of days ago, and someone said, if Marlon McCree had not fumbled that Tom Brady pass, um, that the Chargers may still be in San Diego. What do you think of that? Well, I, I don't know about that. Had they had success, but, but they, you know, during the during the Marty Ball era, they were selling out. They were making money. They were doing really well. But at the end of the day, the owner's all about the owner's pocket. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I swear that they were planning this move for five to 10 years before they actually exited in 2017. So at the end of the day, and I, I take a lot of heat because we do cover the Chargers, and I write about it on my website. At the end of the day, we root for Justin Herbert to go 17-0 and and Dean Spanos to go 0-17. <laughs> yeah, that's a good line right there. I like that one. Here, we got another live stream comment that just came in, and I want you to get your thoughts on this one. It's a good one. And this is uh, from... Uh, from Joey Yarbrough. He says, is Brady going to come back and play for the Raiders? No, not at age 45. I know there's an undercurrent of conversation that the reason he's buying into the team is maybe he winds up playing. If he wanted to play, he could have gone there as an unrestricted free agent, and that would have been that. But he's age 45, and uh, I mean, he carried Tampa last year. I don't think he had a lot of fun because the team kind of fell apart around him. And nobody seemed to agree with what Todd Bowles was doing as the head coach, having, you know, replaced Bruce Arians. I don't think Tom's going to ever play again at age 45. He's accomplished it. Why why should he come back? I think he'll get it out of a system. And there'll be other things he'll do, whether it's to be an NFL front office executive or, you know, do it. he's doing a lot of creative stuff. Tom Brady Productions, TB12, his, his training program. I mean, he is fairly successful in business already. So I don't. I don't think he's going back to the NFL, putting a helmet on. Yeah, the, well, the Raiders are a disgrace. They're they're a mess. The Chargers are cursed. I mean, and the Rams are going to be in the tank. I mean, Southern California NFL is not going to be that good this yeah. year. And by the way, Kansas City's still in the division. Yeah, yeah, you got to deal with Mahomes like twice a year. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our bonus coverage. We're here every Monday for bonus coverage. Our regular podcast is on Thursday. We invite you to subscribe. We invite you to share, tell your friends, give us a thumbs up. John needs all the help. You can get we'll take a five-star rating if you're willing to post that also and check my website you'll really like what i write i wrote a very moving piece today about memorial day and what it means to me take a look at it i think you'll find it kind of unique kind of different hey thanks for being with us john have yourself a great day we will talk to you thursday yeah let's um, game seven in the uh, nba it's going to be fun tonight have yourself a great memorial day holiday weekend we'll talk to you come thursday on hacksaw's headlines join us again for hacksaw's headlines on youtube facebook and twitter and find the audio version on your favorite podcast app For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.